Welcome to Standing at the Edge, the podcast. I am Casey Stratton, your host, and this is Season 2, Episode 2 of Standing at the Edge. And this week we are going to be focusing on my album, The Winter Children. This album was written during a very tumultuous and interesting and time of my life that was full of a lot of change and upheaval and some sadness and darkness and disappointments, but also some really great times and new relationships with people, friends, and otherwise, and just really kind of getting into my groove in my early 20s. I uh, wrote half of the record in Los Angeles and half of it in Chicago, and I just have really fond memories. The other interesting thing before we really dive in is that uh, The Winter Children is very singular in the fact that it was never actually professionally recorded in any way during its time. We'll talk more about that. But so many of the songs on that album have a dual life because they went on to be on Standing at the Edge. So there's two versions of of a lot of them, and people have very strong impressions of the later version because they heard that first in 2004 when Standing at the Edge came out. And then I ended up finally recording The Winter Children the way I had always meant to in 2009 using a lot of the source materials from 1999 to 2001. So it was a very interesting time uh, in the world, in my life, as a young person, as a young musician. Um, it's, so we're going to get into all the nitty gritty of it and talk about some of your favorite songs that are from that record. This is one of my very favorite albums. There's something very magical about it. I think it sounds that way. It felt that way to make. I was really in my groove because this was my first record after Whirlwind Medusa when I really kind of felt like I ha- had my footing. But I was also just really creative and just writing all sorts of stuff. And I had gotten this new keyboard that I had just gotten for World of Medusa, but on this record, I really kind of got into it and the nuts and bolts of how all the different sounds worked. And, you know, I was writing all these songs on my own, so um, I wasn't recording in a studio at this point, so I didn't have any recording equipment. So I was writing all of this work and then desperately figuring out how I was going to actually make this record, and I never got to. I did get to make some initial recordings that do exist, and we'll talk about that. So let's dive in to The Winter Children. So I technically started The Winter Children in 1998, but not really. Ocean was written during the World in Medusa time, but I never actually recorded it or anything. At the time, I wasn't sure how I felt about it, and then it ended up being something I put toward The Winter Children later, but I hadn't officially started that record when I wrote Ocean, so Ocean's kind of a carryover. But after World in Medusa was finished, so very early in 1999, because uh, World in Medusa was finished in December of 1998, I started writing the songs that would end up becoming The Winter Children. I also entered into my first and only long-term relationship at the time um, that I had been in. Um, Not my first relationship, my first long-term relationship that I had been in uh, started in late January of 1999. So a lot was changing in my life. The relationship was really good when it was good and really bad when it was bad. So it was very tumultuous. So a lot of that made it into the record. Um, the, The Dead Sea is definitely about that, although I didn't write The Dead Sea until 2002. Oh yeah, I said earlier it was 1999 or 2001, but I actually finished in 2002. Um, 
because the record kept changing and there was a, I wrote a whole other a whole other record in the middle of the winter children thinking it was over and then that album never really came to fruition and it has kind of piecemealed some of the songs um pretty horses from the divide b-sides was from that blood was actually originally written for a different record and uh, the last days of may which i didn't end up recording until 2016 after writing it in 2000 so no 2001 so in the spring and summer of 2001 I thought I was shifting to a new record and then 9-11 happened and for some reason I went back to the winter children and started writing more material for it and so after 9-11 was when bloom the dead sea uh, if there are whispers here a lot of the songs came after 9-11 of course that was a major force for everyone so that rocked the middle of this record too um, it found its way into it in a lot of ways um, it's subtle ways but uh, like in the song I hide my face when I say my airplane is crashing down just off the coast of all of my illusions that somehow I am stronger see I'm telling you if you've been listening to this or episode one I can remember words to the old songs it's the newer ones anything like post the crossing can't do it uh even maybe the crossing <laughs> but divide him before that i mean even down to like songs i wrote in high school i can remember every single word anyhow all of this to say 1999 i'm in this new relationship i'm starting to write songs flesh was written in that time um there's some aggression in that song which i, I think i was working out what was happening in my relationship cellophane was written then uh famously i told the story um it, it didn't end up making my documentary because i had had a few too many cocktails when i was being filmed <laughs> for the documentary about me um we'll talk about it but um I recorded cellophane when I was walking to a UPS like distribution center to pick up a computer that was finally going to have this newer Mac and I think it probably had a 750 megabyte hard drive and I was like ooh what an upgrade but I was walking to pick it up and cellophane famously came into my head I've written a lot of my well-known songs walking around I don't know what that is I do tend to write songs either walking in the shower because you know it's really all you can be doing at that point is concentrating on the task ahead. Although now, you know, we're all multitasking with our phones and almost getting run over in the streets. But back then it was a different time. Uh, so really kind of finding the groove of these songs was about the keyboards. Like I was saying earlier, this rolling keyboard, I still have it. It's sitting right behind me. I haven't played it in years, but I bought it in 1997. And uh, just really getting into the sounds and just wanting a record that was really cinematic. This is also, interestingly enough, the only record in my entire catalog that someone else sings on. My sister is the singer during all of the interludes through the record. This album has four different sections. So there's, an, there's like the beginning, which is called the prologue. Then there's three songs. Then there's a, an interlude. Then there's an intermission. And then there's another three songs, and then the interlude two, and then the final three songs with the epilogue at the end. So it really is a journey. Um, and the Winter Children as a concept, that it comes up in more than one song, but I don't think any of them actually made the record. But some of the B-sides actually say the Winter Children. But I knew really early on in the process that that was going to be the name of the album. And famously, my boyfriend at the time, who was a writer, told me he didn't like it. And so for a while I had a chip on my shoulder about it, but now I'm so glad I kept it. It's sometimes as an artist, it's so easy to have someone give you some criticism and, and you overthink it and you make a change. And then later you look back and think, why did I change that? I knew what I wanted. 
and everyone's going to have a different opinion and that's okay but if you take all of that in eventually it can be really tricky i mean i'm not saying i never listen to criticism but there are certain times where i just have to go with my gut and do what i what i my vision is for something my vision for this record was to call it the winter children i had this very specific um, I think you can hear it, especially in the interludes. You know, it kind of sounds like shards of ice falling and all these you know, dark. You can feel kind of the cold and the wind and the snow. And it's funny that I, you know, I'm writing this record originally in Los Angeles called The Winter Children, where like the worst day in the winter is when it's 55 and raining. But um, anyhow, um, I wanted to kind of go into this world. I think that's my first album. That it's not quite a concept album, but it has its own kind of universe. And I think that's pretty clear right from the beginning because you know it opens with the Dead Sea and the version on the Winter Children is so different from the Stand at the Edge version. The Stand at the Edge version is almost like I'm singing at a cocktail bar in a 40s movie. You know what I mean? Like with a glass of wine in one hand. I actually did drink a glass of red wine while we did the vocal on the Stand at the Edge version because Pat wanted my vocal to be as flat as possible. I think he was really playing with the contradiction of the lyrics to kind of make something that sounded dead in the delivery when the lyrics were so emotional whereas I tend to lean all in on the drama I'm not playing with contradictions to be ironic nope so my version has the long like far away sounding echoey vocal which I like to use a lot although I think that might be the first song where I actually did that and then it kind of became a signature of mine but the Dead Sea was about that relationship falling apart that relationship ended when I moved to Chicago actually the relationship ended and I moved to Chicago to get away from the relationship because we would just get back together again all the time. And I had been wanting to be closer to my family and Los Angeles had chewed me up and spit me out and I needed to get out of there. I was done with it. I had lost all of my professional career stuff. It just all fell apart. It was the first time, and I think I've talked about this before and some people might know this if you you know, know me or have followed me for a while. It was the first time I saw that going up in the music industry is slow, but falling down is fast. The phone stopped ringing immediately and then everybody I was working with dropped me like a hot potato because I was no longer the next big thing. So I had been writing songs in my publishing contract and they didn't like them. And these are a lot of the World of Medusa B-sides, songs like Elevator, Epitaph, uh, I can't think of any others off the top of my head, but there were a bunch of songs that I wrote uh, and recorded when I was signed in the studio, which they gave me a $500 per song budget. We'll talk about that more when I talk about Whirlwind Medusa at some point. But they didn't like the songs I was writing. So in early 1999, at the tail end of my contract, they developed a new policy where I had to come in and play a piano vocal version of any song before they would greenlight me the $500 to record it. I said, absolutely not. So I never wrote another thing for them. <laughs> because I was young. Oh, gosh. I'm kind of all or nothing. Um, so, yeah, the relationship ended, and I knew I needed a change. So I moved to Chicago in, I think, August of 2000, and my whole life was different because, of course, you know, we were moving into fall, and I hadn't experienced that in a long time. I remember, like, making, like, eggnog with brandy in it and, like, walking through the streets and feeling the, the fall leaves. They're all crunchy and the smell of them under my feet and just being like, ooh, I missed seasons. No, I'm not sure if I had to choose because I don't like winter at all, ironically. Um, so I'm in Chicago and then I just got a job waiting tables. Well, actually, I worked for California Pizza Kitchen in Los Angeles and I transferred to a Chicago location. So I had a job right when I got there, which was really helpful. Um, but I kind of stopped 
telling anybody that I was a musician. When I first moved to Chicago, I did a couple open mic nights, but it became clear pretty early on that the kind of music I was making did not really have a healthy market at the time in Chicago. Uh, I wasn't really going to get anywhere with it, and professionally, it was it's not the kind of city you get a record deal in if you're doing what I'm doing. So, I mean, maybe indie labels, but and that's the other thing. So I'm thinking maybe I'll, I'll try for an indie label, and all that's going to play out as The Winter Children ends, uh, the process of it. But I was not really telling anyone. Like I had all these coworkers and I'm, I never told anyone I was a musician. So it was the first time in my life where I got to see what it felt like to exist in the world without that being such a huge part of my identity because my whole life being a musician really kind of defined me. So it was both a good and a bad thing. I mean, I just left the music industry completely behind and put my head down and lived my life. Going back and thinking about it, those were really crucial years because I took almost two years before I got back in the game, a little over a year and a half, maybe a year and eight months later, I got back in the game again. But that was a really crucial time in my life being so young. It sucks that being young matters so much, but it does. Um, and I just, I had to though, I had to walk away because the music industry was making me not like making music anymore. And I didn't like the feeling of music being something I didn't like doing because it was always my favorite thing. And the music industry in Los Angeles kind of took that away from me. I felt really demoralized. I felt like a failure. I felt like no one was ever going to get it. It's interesting, speaking of Stand at the Edge, I just, ironically and out of nowhere, I got an email last weekend from Patrick Leonard, who was my producer on Stand at the Edge, and he's very well known for producing. Well, he started as Michael Jackson's music director on tour, and then he very famously became the music director for Madonna, and then produced a lot of True Blue, a lot of Like a Prayer, and then some of Ray of Light. Um, and a lot of Madonna's most iconic songs were Patrick Leonard produced. And so I spent my whole childhood seeing produced by Patrick Leonard, produced by Patrick Leonard. And then later on, he worked with Jewel. He worked with Duncan Sheik. He worked with Elton John, Roger Waters. So I put him on my wish list when I was signed to Sony. And he actually ended up making the record with me. And, and everybody knows that now. But we talked on the phone on Sunday. We got on the phone and talked for 45 minutes. And we probably haven't talked on the phone in maybe 10 years. And before that, it was probably... I don't know, six before that. So we, we were reminiscing that we made Stand at the Edge 18 years ago. And this is relevant because, yes, some of these Winter Children's songs became songs that I worked on with Patrick, but also because Patrick said, you know, you were really young at the time, but what I really admired about you was that you did your own thing and you did not let the record company back you down. And he's like, I hope you stayed that way. And I was like, trust me. <laughs> I said, I haven't made a record with a producer ever since. And he was like, oh, no, I cured you of it. <laughs> and I said, no, it was always my intention for my songs to be my vision. You know, I, Sony wouldn't let me produce the record. So I had to work with someone and I'm glad it was you. But it was really, you know, he's in a really good place in his life. And I mean, pandemic aside, and I am too. So we, it was just nice to catch up. And I filled him in with the heart attacks and all that. <laughs> he was just like, geez. But, you know, 18 years of of that kind of bond with someone even though you don't talk a lot or email a lot it was just really interesting to go back and think about those times which were very very soon after this because uh the winter children was only finished maybe six months before stand at the edge got started and that's another reason why a lot of the songs ended up on the record because i sent patrick leonard three cds worth of material and one of them was the entire album of the winter children so he gravitated a lot to the songs he really likes that so many of them have counterpoints and all these musical things that i won't bore you with going on there's a lot going on but it all fits together from a theoretical 
perspective with music theory. But then, of course, he wanted to dumb it down for the record because he felt like I went too far. And I got that kind of feedback a lot. But now I just, if I want to go too far, I go too far because it's my business. So I'm in Chicago, and that's when I start writing some of my favorite songs. I Hide My Face was written in Chicago. No Words Will Come was written in Chicago. Uh, Late December and Bloom and If There Are Whispers Here were all made, were all written in Chicago, and a lot of them in the actual winter of 2000 uh, into 2001. And then... Uh, did a lot of uh, traveling to New York um, to perform, and then of course 9-11 hit, and everything kind of stopped, and I had to respond to that. I was halfway through making The Garden EP, which some of you might have heard. If not, you can stream it on my Bandcamp site. Uh, but I was in the middle of making that when 9-11 happened, so it informed the rest of that work, and I finished it really with the lens of that. And then I actually made my second holiday record, First Frost, Then Open, uh, in the fall and winter of 2001. So I, there's a lot of songs from that period where I can really feel the heaviness and the weight of 9-11 and what that did for me and for so many other people. It was just really hard to wrap my mind around. The pandemic feels similar. It's like a silent or, you know, an unseen enemy this time, but it feels similar. Like there's just this darkness about it that's scary. At least in the beginning, the, the pandemic really frightened me with my heart issues. At the beginning, I was really afraid I was going to die of it. I was like, I can't survive two heart attacks and be taken down by a virus. Mm -mm. Anyhow, so I'm writing all these songs and I'm changing the order all the time very similar to like I talked about with Lily Sleeps last week I'm just constantly changing things I'm like no now I want it to be this order no, this song's coming off this song's going on um, but really just digging into all of it and, and getting into it and like I used to record the keyboard like my keyboard could record onto a floppy disk remember those like the hard disks if you're my around my age not the flippy floppy ones but what they still call floppy disks but they're not floppy um which now kids are like look the save icon I'm like no it's not this isn't a toy of a save icon it's a hard disk but yeah my computer had a disk drive on it back when things like that happened I mean my my keyboard I think it's a computer my keyboard had a disk drive on it and so I I could play back I could record into the keyboard and play it back it was all done digitally it wasn't like actual recording like on a tape it was just like the keyboard would remember what it did it's called the musical instrument digital interface or MIDI which side note we used to always joke in the studio meant mine isn't doing it because <laughs> a lot of things that had to talk to each other for MIDI to work properly so we always called it mine isn't doing it but um yeah I would put those record I would record the output of my keyboard into my cassette deck and then on my cassette Walkman, I would listen to just the instrumental tracks on the L train in Chicago to and from work, waiting tables. So I have very fond, not specific memories, but like this overall nostalgic feeling of like me with my Walkman listening to like the track for I Hide My Face or the, or the track for Bloom on the train or No Words Will Come or whatever, whatever these songs are. So um, then I got my friend upgraded her computer system for her uh, videography business. So she gave me her iMac. Remember when iMacs looked like TVs, like little TV sets? So I had a graphite iMac that she gave to me. So finally I had a pretty decent Mac to work with. So I downloaded the free version of Pro Tools. There used to be this free version. It was very limited. I think you could only have 24 or 32 tracks, something like that. 
and you could get some effects and some stuff. So I figured out a way to like get my keyboard sound to go onto Pro Tools. And then I had literally like a live microphone, like the cheapest kind. And I found a way to like plug it into the tiny little mic jack. Like I had to get an adapter to make the microphone cord be able to go into like those old school little tiny mic jacks that you had on a computer. So I recorded all my vocals literally like holding the live microphone in my hand. And that's why I never released the Winter Children in its original version because it is like string and tape, like just doing whatever I could to get my ideas down, to be able to put those background vocals down because they had lived in my head for years and I had never been able to put them down so in 2001 I got to record everything for the winter children finally and I had these just very primitive very crude sounding uh, you know really thin sounding vocals because it wasn't a professional microphone like I'm talking into right now doing this podcast so it was my only way but it just felt so satisfying because like I talked about last week back then being able to record was this huge privilege like it wasn't like it is now it's so easy now to have access i mean if you buy a mac you've got GarageBand built right into it and i don't even i've never used it but it's so much easier now and i think i take it for granted obviously i must i haven't made a record in four years but if you listen to last season you know why that is so i'm finally being able to like put these songs together and then you know of course cd burners became a thing and they were these giant clunky expensive things but i got the money together and I bought a CD burner and then I could finally like listen to the whole album the way I wanted it to be and with my disc man or whatever so I was so excited to finally get those songs down but it was such like this journey and those songs just are so like they mean so much to me but also so much to other people like when I think back to like the original version of Blood and the Dead Sea Ocean Cellophane Bloom I mean Violet Room all of those made Stand at the Edge and they're all on this record but again like I'm saying what's interesting is that when you hear the Winter Children version you're hearing my version you're hearing the original version and I'm not saying one is better or worse I'm really not I have affection for all of them on both versions but it's just really interesting to me that you all heard the the stand well if you have been following me forever which if you're new or great I don't know which one you heard first but hey you do you it's, it's up to you to consume art however you want um but yeah I mean for the for people who have been around uh, you know you heard stand at the edge first and for a lot of people that's how you know me at all and so I have a lot of, you know, uh, gratitude for that record. It, it did a lot for me. It didn't perform well commercially, but it did a lot for me. I mean, people all over the world to this day listen to me uh, when I get my little Spotify reports. And I'm pretty sure I said these exact same words last season, but it just, you know, it changed my life to have that experience. But it also took these songs away from me in a weird sort of way. The Winter Children was like mine. And then Pat came in and, and we had to collaborate mostly you know he was the boss he was Patrick Leonard of course he was I had my say and there were things that I contributed to it for sure so it was in some ways a collaboration but in many ways it was him taking my work and reimagining it for a wider audience or whatever we want to call it or for something just more slick and major label like uh oh my computer just went into sleep mode I'm gonna you're gonna hear me typing maybe because I have to put my password in I could go back and edit all this out but hey it's the real world it's what happens sometimes so yes I am making the record no I'm not making the record because I well I'm recording them like I said I finally got to a point where I could record the songs and I was so into it excuse my clicks and then I moved to New York right after the Dead Sea. I didn't write anything else. For some reason, when I moved to New York in June of 2002, that was like when I put the lid on, on uh, the w winter children. Why do I want to say standing at the edge all the time? 
probably just because it's the name of the podcast. <laughs> and again, because so many of the songs in this record have a dual life. But let's talk about some of them. Um, Ocean. Okay, so again, I wrote that in 1998 during World War Medusa and didn't end up recording it, but I still had it on that, that hard disk. I had the, the track. And at some point, I can't even remember. It must have, no, it must have been when I finally got the iMac that Ocean, I, you know, was going through. Sometimes I would just hop through my hard disks and listen to stuff. And then see, you know, oh, like I forgot all about this song. I kind of like it. Maybe I'll make something out of it. Sometimes I do that with uh, stuff in my recording catalog too, because I have a lot of sessions that I start and never finish. So every once in a while, I'll pop through my hard drives and like open sessions and be like, why did I quit this song? Sometimes I get frustrated and think a song sucks. And then like five years later, I'm like, that didn't suck. What was I thinking? But, you know, we all have off days. And sometimes when you're in the middle of an artistic idea, it gets the better of you. I'm pretty good at not doing that, which is why I have so much work. I've talked about that, I think, before. Like, I get out of my own way. People ask me all the time how I can write so much. And I'm like, I get out of my way. And The Winter Children has sig a significant number of B-sides, too. You can also hear those in my Bandcamp store if you want to stream them. Or if you want to purchase them, that'd be even better. But hey, I'm, I don't count on that anymore. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. That's another thing that Pat, Patrick Leonard and I, I call him Pat. So Pat Leonard and I were talking about uh, on the phone this week was that like both of us are in a place now where we can just make music because we want to and not because we have to pay the bills. Now, in my case, it's because I have a full-time job that pays something, but not great. In his case, it's because he just bought a 70-acre farmhouse with a studio barn and has a private plane. So... <laughs> You know, I said, well, we're living very different lives. But then, you know, I hang up the phone and think, I can't believe I can talk. I mean, I'm hang out with my friend on the phone who has a private jet because he produced all these iconic recordings. And then he told me, which I didn't know for some reason, that he worked for six years with Leonard Cohen before he passed away. And I'm like, Leonard Cohen? I worked with a guy who worked with Leonard Cohen? Like, I don't know. It's nuts. And it's like thinking, this is my friend? I don't Wow. That, so that time of my life was just wild. So literally, I finished, I put the lid on the Winter Children in June 20, 2002. And then September, I signed my deal with Sony. So it all happened really, really fast. Also, what had happened was I had just completely given up on, like I said, on my music career. And I was on the bus in Chicago all day going to different restaurants applying for work because I was unemployed at the time. And I got home and I had an email saying, hey, are you looking for management? And I was like, what? So I pursued it, ended up with my manager at the time. And then she, even though I wanted to go independent, she, and I think I talked about this last season, but it's okay. Um, we'll hear it again if you've heard it before. She, uh, and I'm not going to go into this for a long time. She did not want me to go independent. She wanted me to try with the major labels. Now, of course, cha-ching, people want paychecks. Major labels pay a lot more. So I got it, but I didn't want to. I was reticent of it. And it turns out I was right. I don't regret anything about Sony, but it was not the right situation for me. A corporate label and I were never going to work. Never. Because like Patrick said on the phone, I, I don't back down. Like, I'm like, this is what I want. And I did compromise, but I would fight my fights. And they did not like it. They did not like it. And so it's interesting, and I might have said this before, I don't know, but artists have always really liked working with me and executives have always really hated working with me because <laughs> I'm really judicious as an artist. Like we're collaborating, we're doing something. Like you play the drums, I hired you to play the drums. I'm not going to tell you much what to do. You're the expert here. I just need your expertise. And if there's something that I want to tweak, I hope you'll respect it. But like I'm not the boss of you kind of thing. And I'm like that as a supervisor in general now that I manage people in a nonprofit set setting. I'm not authoritarian. <clears throat>
So, <laughs> oh, I'm glad that part of our American quilt is over with. I was just going to say that's all I'm going to say because I'm almost at 30 minutes, but no. So Bloom, let's talk about Bloom. I know I haven't talked a lot about individual songs, but I think people, you know, you have your own interpretations of them. And if we want to do a bonus episode, maybe, maybe everyone can take the records. I'm stuttering a lot today. Maybe people can take the records we discuss in these episodes and then maybe drill down on some individual songs you'd like to hear about. Because if I talked about every single song, we'd be here for an hour and a half. But Bloom... So I was really missing my ex-boyfriend. Um, you know, it's not always, let's f- frame it the other way. Sometimes it's really complicated. You can love someone and not be able to be with that person. And that's, I mean, to this day, we still are very much like affectionate and really, really like each other. And we're still in each other's lives, but it just wasn't going to work. And he means a lot to me and he always will. And my husband knows that and he's cool with it. It's not like I'm going to like have an affair or anything like that. It's not like that. I think if you know, you know. You know how some people just get in you, like they they are in your heart whether you like it or not. And so I was really missing him, which again, I had to literally move to Chicago to not get back together all the time. And we did end up getting back together long distance for a minute and a half even then when I lived in Chicago. But I was waiting for the train. I, I lived up north, well not up north, but I lived in the north part of Chicago. So um, where I lived, you had to wait kind of on an outside platform for the train because it doesn't go underground until you get closer to downtown, uh, to the, what's called the loop. So I was waiting for the train and the sun was setting. I think I talked about this when I talked about standing at the edge, but the sun was setting and it was winter and it was cold and I felt the breeze on my face, the cold wind. And that really, I just like remember this moment. And then later on I wrote Bloom and it really was my kind of furtive plea. Um, If you know the B-sides, The Wind Has Spoken is another one that still to this day kind of tugs on my heartstrings if I remember how I felt in that time to be missing someone that I cared about so much that I had had a two-year relationship with and it just didn't work out I mean we lived together it was the first person I ever lived with until Kurt and Kurt moved in here in 2018 so this was 2000 so I went, literally went 18 years without living with another romantic partner uh, so that was the first and almost last time I lived with someone. So like taking our lives apart w- from one another was very hard. It was hard on both of us. And we did miss each other quite a bit. So I think that's why Bloom is what it is, even to other people, because even the Stand at the Edge version, especially the Stand at the Edge version with that orchestra, ooh, everyone was crying in that room almost. But yeah, there were a lot of, a lot of weepy eyes when I finished that because I just really leaned into not only am I singing live with this live orchestra like what with a string arrangement that I made and I'm singing this song that means so much to me because of how you know I had felt and this was only a few years later but that by the time we're making stand at the edge it's maybe three years later so it was fresh enough you know and when you're young you know it's you can hold on to things I think even longer than when we're older not that I don't hold on to things but oh and we'll get into that one of these episodes is going to be about the calling of the crows so here's my teaser for future episodes and that's going to be a tough one. Oh, I'm tearing up just thinking about it yeah, that was a really hard time. And I, I, again, I wasn't a professional musician at that point. I was waiting tables um, where I had been able to be a professional musician for a year and a half when I lived in LA. So that was disappointing. And I just kind of felt like I didn't know what to do, but I put that all into the record and I made that record for me. I didn't make that record for anybody else. I didn't make it to get a record deal. I didn't make it to have a hit. And so there's the irony, blood, violet room, ocean, <laughs> the Dead Sea, all these songs that people love so much on the record where I just was trying to please myself. And that's always the advice I give artists. 
make the kind of art you want to listen to, make the kind of art you want to experience because that's going to be authentic and people are going to feel that. I was writing my truth. I was leaning into heartbreak and demoralization of my career and living in you know, Los Angeles originally and then Chicago. And Chicago was so different to have winter time and taking a train and you know all the stuff that I did and just being so close to my family. And Chicago has such a different vibe from LA. So the record could have been very disjointed, but I think it was the music that kept things consistent for me. It was that process of putting that together. I mean, I wrote that record over three years. I don't think I've ever taken that long with a record. But again, it's because I couldn't record anything. If I had had access to recording studios, I'm sure there would have been three or four records in that time period. But because I couldn't record anything, I just kept honing and honing. And maybe that's another reason The Winter Children is strong, because I only kept the best stuff. You know what I mean? Like, Or the stuff that fit together the best which I guess is a more accurate way. It's not always like the individual song might be the best fit for the album. Well, that is what I'm saying. It fits the album. Maybe there might be a better song, but it sticks out like a sore, a sore thumb. Excuse me. So, yeah, I mean, I just I that record means so much to me and always will. And I'm so glad that I finally got a version of it out in 2009. And I hope that if you listen to it, you'll feel the magical quality of it. And almost, it's, it's kind of like a movie. I think I said the same thing about Lily Sleeps, but cinematic is used to describe my work quite a bit. And I don't think it's a wrong way of describing it. But really just a labor of love and loss and heartache and really just some of the most important songs of my life. I really think I was kind of peaking. I mean, I hate to say that, but I know it's true. It was my most creative period and I think a period where I got some of my best work. I guess I'll say that. I think Divide was very similar because I was really feeling the adrenaline of completing a major label record and just really being at that level finally. So I think I wanted to rise to the occasion of being this like major label artist. And I feel like I did. So again, like I'm really proud of that work I did because if we're thinking about it, so I started The Winter Children when I was 22 and I finished it when I was 24, 25, 25. So, I mean, that's pretty young to be making, to be making anything. So when I look back on it, I'm very proud of the work I did. I'm proud of how hard I've, I worked and I just have such nostalgia for that time because your early 20s is just kind of magical especially living in LA and Chicago and just having all these experiences and meeting new people and when I moved to Chicago it was like I had a clean slate like I remember going out for drinks by myself like I'm like I don't care I don't need to be with a group of people to go to a bar and have a glass of wine in the afternoon so I would and I just loved it it was like I got to start again and just have a, a fresh start with a breath of fresh air in a new place and I, I think if I hadn't done that, I don't know what would have happened. So I'm glad I did. But definitely some dark times, too, in my, of my life, as I mentioned. So, you know, if you love that record or like it or listen to it, I, thank you. Because it's really, that I would say The Winter Children probably represents me about as well as anything I could write could, if that makes sense. So at least me in that time period of who I was. It's kind of the story. I'm lucky to have the records because it's like I have diaries of all these different parts of my life because I don't keep an actual written diary, but I can be like, oh, that's when I was making Signs of Life, or oh yeah, that was when I was making Myth and Stars. And then when I listen to those albums, I can remember those times, good or bad and everything in between. So that's The Winter Children. I will see you next time. I'm not sure what record, I keep doing this. I really should choose the next record before so I can tell you what it's gonna be, but I guess you're just gonna have to come back and find out for yourself. Take care out there and I will talk to you next week.